Welcome to the Vintage Grace Sunday Podcast. We hope our series on the book of Revelation will challenge and encourage you to grow closer to God and recognize that He wins. Let this message be a reminder to you of His love for you and the plan that He has for your life. Congratulations. Have you ever been on like a really long road trip before? You know, and maybe this summer you've got plans. You should change your plans because long road trips are brutal, right? In fact, what's the number one question parents get asked? Are we? And you're like, no, if we were there, we wouldn't be here. It's very simple, bud. Like, stop asking the same question every two minutes. We're not there. Guys, we're there. We made it. This is the end of the book. Now, I feel like as a preacher, I just ran a marathon preaching through Revelation. How do you feel? right? I mean, here's the good news. You're still here. I told you at week one, some of you weren't going to make it to week 20, right? You were going to give up on me and give up on the book. It's okay. My job was to be faithful. So we kept reading the book, but I love these last two chapters. Amen. Jason just started reading where we're going this morning. Guys, we get to the end of the journey and we find out that it's worth it. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. Now, will we metaphorically break down on our long road trips at times? Totally. How many of you guys ever broke down on the side of the five when it's 120 degrees outside? It's awful. Don't go to SoCal. It's a waste of space. Stay up here in God's country, right? Like, but we've been on this journey all throughout the book of Revelation and we've gotten to the end. And I want to just sincerely just tell you, congratulations. You've committed to learning the book. It was the book that said, he who studies it will be blessed. My prayer is that you have been blessed. It has increased my faith. It has deepened my certainty. It has increased my hope in this journey with Jesus because my car breaks down just like your car does. But God is good all the time and? We've got to believe that from our head to our hearts to our hands. And so today as we open the book, what we're going to see is that we made it. There's a fulfillment of the promise of God to eradicate evil once and for all and to bring his people home. Hallelujah. Like there's this moment of worship, of certainty that yes, the journey is long. Yes, we're gonna break down, but it's gonna be worth it. And so Revelation 21 and 22, we're gonna wrap up today. We're gonna look at the last pages of the good book and we're also gonna be focused on the first page of the good book. This is not just the end of this study. This is really the end of, I think, the entire canon. We're gonna end today in the same place we started in Genesis chapter one and two. And I joked with you guys as we started the series, I was gonna give you a ton of homework. Now again, don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys have been doing your homework? There's gonna be a lot more today. There's no way we're gonna cover all of what is in the text in these next two chapters. So again, have your pens ready, we're gonna dive in. But we've been looking at the whole Bible, all the way back to the first garden and now to the last, where we fell in the past garden and now in the new garden we will reign. So we saw two weeks ago this wedding feast where the bride comes and, and redeems, the bridegroom comes and redeems her bride. And so today in the text, we see the new heaven, the new earth. The first earth had passed away. Why? Because we don't need that anymore. God is making all things new. We have a new city, a new Jerusalem. And today we zoom in on how he has prepared his bride. I pray that's you. If you're here and you trust and treasure Jesus, these verses are for you. If you don't trust and treasure Jesus yet, put that on your connect card. We'd love to make sure you're ready for these chapters because there's nothing better than that what's coming and the bride of the lamb. I entitled today's message, the marriage of heaven and earth. And I believe personally that the line between heaven and earth is a lot thinner than we think. That the line between the old garden and the new garden is a lot thinner than we think. And so today as we read the text, I pray that you get goosebumps. It's kind of the end of a, of a, tr- of a tragic movie, but a beautiful movie. 
all sorts of emotions as you've been watching the movie, engaging with the text. My prayer is that as you continue to think deeply about who God is, that all of creation is going to be restored. Amen? That the day is coming, as we just read, where every tear will be wiped away, and it's going to be an amazing day, a day of renewal. But also don't miss just in the intro where Jason left us in verse 7. Here's verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So church, just don't miss this. We say at Vintage Grace that all those who are born once will die twice. But all those who are born twice will die once. What does that mean? It's a quote from E.V. Hill, that if you're born physically, you're gonna die physically. But if you're born spiritually, you will never die spiritually. And so the text today is super encouraging if you trust and treasure Jesus. If you trust and treasure Jesus, then we're gonna look at what heaven is gonna be like for you. But if you don't trust and treasure Jesus, because let's be really honest, how many in the room right now are at one time or another have been cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion of the lake on fire? How many of that describes you? Because here's my fear. We read this text and we always think of someone else. Here's the reality. How many of us deserve heaven? Not one. We are loved and judged not by what we've done, but by what he's done for us. Amen? Amen. And that God, being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, gave his son for us, and now his son brings us back to the Father. He brings us as a new creation, as a new humanity, to have heaven and earth, new Jerusalem for all of eternity. But just don't miss this. Not one of us deserves these verses of heaven. Not one here today. We all look a lot more like verse eight than any other verse in the Bible. And so may we read the text with humility, with transparency, with authenticity to say, God, we wanna see you clearly. We wanna hear from you clearly. Here's my summary statement for today. We may not know all the details of the future, but we know who holds the future, amen? And so again, I promise you, you're gonna break down metaphorically on your road trip this summer. And when you really break down on your road trip, you can send me a hate email, it won't bother me. I'll have my out of the office email up, no big deal. But like, it's gonna happen. We're gonna deal with the brokenness of this world. And so we don't necessarily know what the future holds. We just know who holds the future. And today, by God's grace, he gives this vision to John and John writes the letter for us. And we now know that the final destination that we're heading to, that we read about this marriage of this new heaven, this new earth, this eternal city called the New Jerusalem is worth it. So if you're spiritually broken down right now, welcome to Vintage Grace, you belong here. We're in this journey together, but we know the destination's worth it. Don't stop believing. I'm going to write a great worship song. I'm going to call it that, right? <laughs> Don't give up. Endurance has been the theme. This final image inspires the church to endure any and every thalipsis as they see the promises of God come to fruition, leading them and us to maintain our allegiance to God as king forever and ever. And so we've used these images behind me all series. We've talked about that we're born into an empire, but we're designed in the image of God. And there's this collision that takes place, this battle between the kingdom and the empire. But I want to just be very clear. In the beginning, in the first garden, there was no empire. It was just the kingdom. It was a king with his people. And people were happy in the garden. Adam and Eve were able to trust and treasure God, that God loved them and he knew them and he was in relationship with them. Here's the problem. Adam and Eve started the first empire called humanity. And everyone after Babylon... The Tower of Babel, Rome in their day, every empire since that day, even the empires that you and I live in today, there's this battle engaging. But I don't want to be, be confusing here at all. The kingdom of God is coming to invade and push out the empire of darkness. Amen? 
That's what we're looking at today. On so many levels, the garden and heaven that we're going to look at right now, heaven is going back to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. And so what's the difference between heaven in Revelation 21, 22 and Genesis 1 and 2? Well, Genesis 3, that's the difference. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And so before we do, what's our role? Pay attention as we've been reading the book. What is our role? Maranatha, that's our role. May we be people that pray and watch and step. May we be people that cry out to God, Lord Jesus, come back. We wait and anticipate this great eternity that is coming sooner than we think. Favorite Bible is Revelation chapter 21. We're gonna pick up from verse eight where we left off with Jason, starting in verse nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, come, I will show you the bride and the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down from heaven of God. Now let's pause there real quick. Where was Eden? The garden of Eden, I think, was on a mountain. How do we believe that? Well, in Genesis, when God created the heavens and earth, the, the land came up out of the what? Sea. And so the top point, that's where Eden would have been. And so the old Eden and the new Eden, you've got lots of similarities to pay attention to from the beginning of the book to the end. Having the glory of God, this new Eden, this high mountain, this city of Jerusalem was radiant like the most rare jewels, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates were 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east there were three gates, on the north there were three gates, on the south there were three gates, and on the west there were three gates." The wall of the city had these 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have the Old Testament tribes and the New Testament apostles. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lie four square in length and the same in width. And he measured the city with the rod, 12,000 stadia. Length and width and height were all equal. It was a cube. He, he measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurements, which is also an angel measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates with twelve pearls, each of the gates had a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass." I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his faith and his name will be on their foreheads and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said these things to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show you his servants what must take place soon. Spirit of God, would you speak to us? There's so much here to wrap our brains around that we will fall short today clearly. And yet, Spirit of God, would you remind us of who you are and who we are in you? Would you show us that the destination is worth it? 
That although the journey is tough, although the philipsis is real, that there is a new heaven, a new earth, a new garden, a new Jerusalem that you have created for us. Would you prepare us to come back to the Father, we pray, for your glory and for our good, we ask this. And everybody said, amen. All right, now how many of you guys thought this was a picture of heaven growing up? Anybody? In fact, I still remember being a kid and actually struggling with heaven because I don't play the harp. So like, what am I gonna do in heaven? Like, I don't play the harp and sitting on a cloud just seems boring. Is that true for anybody else or just me? Like, I wanna do something in heaven. I remember being a young man growing up in the church and even saying things like, well, I wanna go to heaven someday because that's what they say I should, but I wanna go to heaven after I fill in the blank, after I get married, after I have kids, after I see the Giants win a World Series, after I see the Warriors win four, right? Like, I wanna go to heaven someday, but only after. You know what those statements come from? A very shallow view of heaven. We don't actually understand what we're being invited into, we're created and designed for, that who we're created and designed for. And so I'm gonna give you a ton of homework this week because that's what I do. And so again, take out your pens. Here's some books I want you to read before, after the sermon, go read these and then come back and read the text again. Go read Genesis one through two. Go read Isaiah 52, 54, and 65. Go read Ezekiel 28 and chapters 40 through 48. And you're like, man, that's a lot, Drew. I come to church so you do your job and I can just listen. No, my job's to get you ready for heaven, which means you better read the book. You better understand, and I just promise you, you read those chapters and come back and read these two chapters again, it'll get more full. See, for years I've been saying we need to go back to garden living. We just need to go back to the garden. It was so simple then. God was walking with his people, and so Genesis 1 through 2 are like some of the best books of the Bible, because I think that's a prelude to heaven. That's a picture of the kingdom of God reigning and residing in their presence. But here's the problem. Genesis 1 and 2 mirrors Revelation 21, 22, but what happens after chapter 2 in Genesis is chapter 3. That in the beginning, Adam and Eve, and you and me, and everyone in between, that we actually didn't want God to be the king of our hearts, and so we knocked him off the throne of our heart. And so sin enters the world in Genesis 3 because God gives us free will. And so how do we get to the third garden from the first garden when in the first garden we see Adam and Eve reject Jesus? Well, there's a second garden. That's the only way we get there. The only way we get to the third garden is because of the second garden that he who knew no sin became my sin, that he stomped on Satan's head in the garden. It's the garden that we forget what it's called, Gethsemane. We have a hard time. Don't forget that garden. It was in that garden that Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away, I'm gonna actually conquer evil once and for all. I'm gonna conquer the grave after I conquer the philipsis, after I conquer every empire between Babylon and whatever we live in today. And so Genesis chapter three is what leads us to the second garden. And so a lot of my life has been spent, especially lately, my my boys came back, one of them came back from Hume, and all I want to do is talk about heaven, which is really cool, because I don't hear that from you enough, right? Dad, can we just talk about heaven? Like, what's heaven gonna be like? And I'm afraid that he's gonna get this picture if we're not careful. What is heaven gonna be like? Here's what I told him the other day. It's not necessarily in the Bible, it's in the DSV. Here's what I told him. There's gonna be a lot of chest bumping Steph Curry's, but it's not gonna be about Steph, it's gonna be about Jesus. Like, you know that feeling when you watch a basketball game and it's just the climax of the series and they win the game and you're just like, this is amazing. And I still remember that. Like, Carson and I are literally chest bumping in the hallway and my wife's like, please be quiet. It's a stupid game. No, no, it's, it's the finals. There's gonna be those moments. There's gonna be those moments. You ever cook like a perfect steak at home and you eat that steak? I just heard one of you grunt. That's great. I've never heard a grunt during a sermon before. That's like a man amen. Mm. 
Like those moments, or what about like just being satisfied after a nap, like after base camp, hypothetically, when you've worked forever and you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what sleep feels like. Like all those moments, I believe, are appetizers for the glory of God. That we're designed by him, that he actually gives us this foretaste of glory, of satisfaction. Heaven is going to be like that, but it's never going to end. Why? Because in heaven, we're going to be focused on him as the primary leader, as him as all relationships. You do recognize that all of our relationships this side of heaven are marked by sin, shame, every one of them, by sin and by shame and really by self. Like I love you leave church on a Sunday morning, you leave the patio and you get in your car and your spouse comes up and goes, did you really mean to say that? Like, do you think they misinterpreted me? Should I send them a text? Why? Because we're so consumed with us. We're so consumed with how we're going to be interpreted, how we're going to be seen. In heaven, we don't have to worry about being seen because we're all looking at Jesus, amen? That our relationships, which I think are going to be in heaven, I think we're going to have relationships. I don't know if they're going to be, everyone's like, are we going to be married in heaven? I don't know. I don't think we're going to be worried if we're not. I think there's going to be relationships. I think we're going to know each other and we're going to recognize each other. I think I'm going to meet a lot of people like, oh, you're Braden's dad because they came to faith through my son. I'm like, I love that. Yep. But we're all sons of the king. So we're not marked by our sin and our shame and our self. We're not marked by power and prestige and purpose. We all have the same purpose. We're not marked by, hey, did, did Steph make the jumper or did he not? We're solely freed up from the power and the prestige and the lure of Babylon to worship him freely because he alone is worthy of praise. Somebody say amen. amen. That's heaven. So if you don't like Jesus, like our number one value as a church is there's more joy in Jesus than anything or anyone else in this world. If you don't like Jesus, can I just be very clear? You're not gonna like heaven because <laughs> that's all we're gonna do. We're going to sit around and we're going to celebrate Jesus and he alone is worthy of praise. And so let's dive into the text, this new Jerusalem. Now, again, I think there's four main chunks, verses 9 through 14, 15 to 21, 22 to 27, and then 21 and on. Within these four chunks, we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see the majesty, the beauty, the worth. We're going to see the measurements of the city. I think there's specific measurements that we can study that's in a cube. I think it's highlighting the, the, the tabernacle. That's what it's drawing us back to, the new tabernacle. We're going to also see that there's no temple in the city, so that's weird. Why are we highlighting the measurements? Again, it's a cube, and again, the height goes way beyond the 67, 62 miles up when space starts. This place is bigger than we could have ever dreamt or imagined. Jesus to John to us is helping us see that this is an all-encompassing, overwhelming space. That's what it is. No temple as there's not a need for his presence. There's going to be a river of life and a water of life. Now, again, we're going to look at the text verse by verse like we typically do, but I want to take the approach that one of the commentaries I've been reading is. And I've adapted these seven points on both sides from Daryl Johnson. And he just says this, what is not there and what is there. So we read the text. I want to zoom in on what is not in heaven and what is in heaven. Is that okay with you? I mean, we're going to do it anyways, Matt. You good with that? Here we go. What's not there? Here's the first thing. No see. And someone I saw with a beach shirt on already at church this morning, they're like, I'm out. I don't want to go to heaven. Like, what do you mean there's no beach? There's gotta be a beach, right? P pay attention. Whenever we see the word sea in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament in Revelation, it's been a metaphor for turmoil and chaos. I don't know if there's a beach in heaven. I really don't. <laughs> Again, I don't think we're gonna be worried about it because we're gonna be hanging out with Jesus. He's all we're gonna care about. So again, is there going to be sea? What he's saying is that there's no chaos and turmoil, that there's no destruction. The sea was unknown. In heaven, all things will be revealed. That there's not this curiosity and confusion that the sea drums up. Remember, the early symbol for the early church was not a cross. That's a tool of death. That would be weird. It was an anchor. 
It was an anchor. That was the early tool. Why? Because the sea tosses us to and fro, but in heaven we're fully grounded. There is no sea. There is no need for an anchor anymore because Jesus is our anchor and he is with us. Here's the second thing that is not there. In the new heaven and new earth, there was sea no more. The earth had passed away. And what else is going to be in verse 4? He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no death anymore. There's no gaps. Is that a good day? Remember, the definition of pain for us at Vintage Grace is the gap between your present state and your desired state. How many of you guys have gaps in your life? A lot. Guys, in heaven, there's no gaps. Why do we not cry? Because there's no gaps. That's the things that we cry of. We cry over the pain points in our life. There is no pain. There is no crying. There is no mourning. Why? Because in the gap between my present desired state, what Jesus wants for us to see more than anything is that he's with us. And in heaven, he is. So what has passed away? All the former things that used to cause us pain like death. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. There is no death in heaven. There's only life. There's no need for the old to go because the new has now come. Here's the third thing that we see Verse eight, any life or character outside of the kingdom. And so he lists all these character traits. Those people deserve the second death. Here's the problem. Who are those people? Well, that's me. I don't understand how Christians somewhere in the last hundred years have become known as being judgmental and critical. I don't get it. Why? Because every time you point one finger out, there's three coming right back at you. Verse eight describes you a lot more than the rest of the book. That's who we are. That's who we are apart from Christ and nothing unclean will ever enter into heaven. Well, here's the problem. If you're unclean, go ahead and raise your hand right now. Right, this is the two-hand part of the sermon. Church, we are marked by God's grace, amen? Unmerited favor, by his mercy, not getting what we do deserve and let alone heaven being getting what we don't deserve. We don't get what we do and we get what we don't. There is nothing about us that deserves to be in heaven but God. That's it. There is nothing outside of kingdom character and kingdom traits, but God made a way when there was no other way. Here's the fourth thing that we see in heaven. We don't see a temple. There's no need for a temple. Now pay attention as we look at the Old Testament text. As you think about the, the term temple, as you think about the term tabernacle, we're gonna look at that in just a couple of minutes. Moses launched the first tabernacle. Go back to Exodus. You wanna read some of my favorite chapters in the book. Go read Exodus 32 and 33. Incredible text. It's also depressing. Exodus 32 is the golden calf. Remember those passages? Where God saves and redeems his people and they're like, yeah, but we want to worship something. And he's like, yeah, that's me. I'm the one worthy of worship. So they make a golden calf. Makes sense, Israelites, right? Until you realize that you're just like them. That all of us are in that same boat of creating demigods, little gods, and not worshiping the one true God. And so Exodus 33, Moses shows up and he spends time and God gives him instructions for how to build the tabernacle. It was Solomon then that built the first temple. And then we have the second temple that comes after the destruction. In fact, in Israel, we're all being in not too long. We see the temple mount and the, the, the place of the temple. But in heaven, there is no temple. Why? Because we don't need one. The temple, the holy of holies, the tabernacle, the, the tent, all of it was all about the presence of God. Heaven is only gonna be about the presence of God. So there's no need for a temple. In fact, I love this. The Lord's prayer is what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus comes to this earth, he comes to tabernacle with us. He comes to be with us. We're gonna pull that apart in just a moment. But pay attention that in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no temple in the city of Jerusalem. The Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, he is the temple. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And the city also has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. Why? Because the glory of God gives it light. 
There's no need for a temple. There's no need for light because God lights up the entire kingdom. The sixth thing is simply this, and its gate will never be shut, and there will be no night there. No sea, no gaps, nothing outside of kingdom character, no temple, no sun, no moon, and no gates. Now, what are gates for? Think about gates. Why would you ever install gates? Two reasons. A, to keep people in, like what? Prison, right? Now, yes, I think Paul does a great job saying, hey, we're all prisoners to something or someone. I'm a bondservant to Christ. No one's trying to leave the prison of heaven. The gates are open. This is the place that you want to be. The other purpose for gates is to keep people what? Out. Again, God dealt with that last week. This week is all of those who have given their life to Christ who trust and treasure God. And so, yes, there's gates, but they're not shut gates. They're gates for glory. They're gates for adorning. And we're gonna see those parsed even more in the next part. Number seven then is simply this. How has this happened? How is there a way when I don't deserve to be there? How could it even be possible or true? Why? Because there's no more curse. There's no more sin. Sin got dealt with in where? The second garden. How do we get to the third garden? Because of the second garden. Because Jesus became our sin, crucified our sin, buried it, and rose again, conquering death. So that's what's not there. What is there? Here's the first thing. God. I told you we were to come back to the tabernacle. God is there. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Now, again, we've heard this language before. Go back to our John series. And the word became what? Flesh. John chapter 14, he came to dwell with us, amongst us. He also came to make us a dwelling place in heaven. So again, part of why we went to Revelation after John is there's all these overlapping themes and ideas here. So again, if you haven't read, go read all the gospel of John too. Just add that to your homework. It's good. Get in the word. It's good for you. Behold the dwelling place of God. God is in heaven. He's dwelling there. Why are there no gaps? Because Jesus is the answer to every gap. He's the desire. He's the presence. When Jesus came to this earth, he said, God, I want to make this earth like heaven. In fact, I believe when Jesus went around to the Sea of Galilee, when he did healings and miracles and teachings, Jesus actually brought heaven to all those places. Why? Because heaven is the presence of God. Part of why I love our sending every Sunday is that we're sending you to go take heaven to your baseball field. We're sending you to go take heaven to your neighborhood. That everywhere Jesus went, I think he was bringing pieces of heaven. He was leaving his mark. He was being the living proof of a loving God is the way that we describe it here at Vintage. And so he would go around, he would go to Galilee, he would go to Capernaum, he would go to these places and spaces and God who is Jesus and Jesus who is God would come into the space and that's heaven meeting earth. My prayer for us at El Dorado Hills and Folsom and Cameron Park and Plaza, whatever in between, here's my prayer that it'd be really hard for people to go to hell in our neighborhoods. Why? Because every day we wake up and we bring a piece of heaven to them. They're looking for joy in all these places. Church, don't miss this. Why has Jesus not taken us right now to heaven to be with him right now? Because there's more people he's wooing to himself. And that are preparing a way. And so God is there. It's the presence of God. It's the purpose of God. I think it's even seen in the people of God today. Behold, God is dwelling with them. He's there. He is the tabernacle, number two. So his glory is there. If the person is there and the presence is there, then the glory is there. And that's what we see when you look at, at the first temple. When you look at what Solomon did, why did he use so many jewels? And why was it so valuable? Because he was trying to say that the glory of God is worth it. Jasper, jewel, the crystal, all of this is about the glory of God that's shining its light. And it's God dwelling with us. It's his presence being to us and through us. Here's the third thing that is there. Now, this is a really technical term, the stuff. I think that's in the DSV. 
We got the glory of God, the presence of God, God himself, and then we have the stuff. Now, this surprises some people as they read about heaven. Why? Because there's real things it feels like. Lots of metaphors in Revelation, but there's real gates. There's a real garden. In fact, if you look at the temple that Solomon built, if you look at the new temple after Solomon built it, they put trees in the Holy of Holies and in these spaces, not in the Holy of Holies, but around it in the garden. Why? Because they want to get us back to the garden. It was the space where God met with his people, but they always needed a great high priest. The high priest came. Jesus is not only the temple, he's also the temple sacrifice. He came to make a way when there was no other way. But pay attention, there's a river, there's streets. The the river goes down and there's fruit trees on each side of the river. Typically, it's only on one side. It's on both sides, it's everywhere. It's yielding fruit. We've already talked about the 12 tribes in the Old Testament, the 12 disciples in the New The leaves of the trees were for healing the nations. You're like, wait a second, Drew. You said there's no gap. Why do the nations need to be healed? I don't know. You're like, well, that's not what I wanted. I wanted an answer. That's my answer. Now, I have an idea. Here's my guess. I think my guess is this. I love it. I see a couple of you guys wearing your desperate dependent t-shirts. You might need that in heaven too. Now, you're gonna be clothed by the robes of righteousness, but I think when we're in heaven, we're not less desperate and dependent upon God. He's just actually there all the time, so that we're always having our needs met, amen? So, so pay attention, I joke about that at Vintage Grace, you have to kind of earn that desperate dependent shirt. Your kid doesn't have to get cancer, that was part of my journey. But we are desperate dependent, and sometimes in America, we live in a cultural context that we try to shield ourselves from that reality. I think in heaven, we're still desperate and dependent. God is just always there filling us and meeting those needs. And so I think that could be part of what he's saying. The leaves of the tree were for healing the nations. The nations had been healed, but they're not now all of a sudden independent. We don't become our own gods in heaven. There is a God, a king, and we're there to worship him. Somebody say hallelujah. That's the text. That's what heaven is gonna be about. So there is stuff. There's real stuff. And I know that doesn't sound very technical, but I think that's what it is. Gates, streets, trees, fruit. It's the perfect creation from a perfect creator. And we now get to worship him perfectly. Here's number four. There's peoples, plural. You see people, them, nations, plural, kings, nations. Now again, they've been set free from self. So they're not saying, look at me. In fact, just the opposite. They're saying, look at he who is greater That's what John the Baptist said. Look at he who is coming to take away the sins of the world. We get to sing songs. Like I've always been a part of a church choir. I can't wait for heaven. I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna sound good. Somebody say amen, right? Like like I love when you guys sing, but there's gonna be every tongue and tribe and nation. There is not one race that can give us a picture of the glory of God. It takes all of them to see the manifold wisdom and the glory of God. And that's who's gonna be in heaven. There will be no Jew or Greek. There will be every culture, every context required that no one ethnic group can manifest. So beyond that, number five, there's gonna be creativity. Now, when I was reading through this list and I said, man, creativity, that feels weird. I mean, it's not as bad as stuff, but it feels weird. What do you mean by creativity? Go back to Genesis chapter one, verse 28. And God what? Blessed them. We love that word of vintage. He blessed them in the beginning. In the garden, the first kingdom. I think the first heaven, in the garden, we were blessed. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing. See, God in heaven, just like God in the garden, is designing you and me to help him reign and rule. Not because he's needy, but because he gets more glory and we get more joy by working with him as father, by being a part of what he's doing. And so my son, we're having this conversation last week and he's like, but dad, will there be baseball in heaven? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like maybe, is that an okay answer? Like, like I don't know if there will be the beach out there with baseball. All I know is we're not gonna be distracted by it because I get distracted by baseball. Anybody else who's checking their fantasy team right now? Like repent of that and move on, right? 
Like, that's the truth of the matter. But I do think, like, I use a baseball metaphor all the time. Like, like when we talk about embracing level tensions, our fifth value as a church, that again, like, God's sovereign human responsibility, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I don't know those answers. I believe them. The Bible teaches them. But, but I embrace that tension. And part of the metaphor I use for embracing tensions is I played outfield in, in, in high school playing baseball. And when you run to the fence and someone smokes a ball, and you're running back and you get to the fence and you realize it's just going and going. You look up and you kind of tip your hat. And you're like, that was a shot. That was good. I think that's worship. That's ascribing value to that player's biceps, right? That's then saying, wow, when it comes to God, I'm faithfully coming to the fence. All the time. And in heaven, God's gonna start to reveal himself in full. And we're gonna just constantly be worshiping him. We're gonna sit at the fence and go, oh, I get it. That's amazing. And guess how amazing God is? Well, that's going to go on forever. That's how amazing God is. I think there's infinite ways to worship a holy, infinite God. In the Church of America, somewhere we got stuck in like the 50s, we're like, well, it's five songs, and then we're going to have a sermon, and then we're going to talk, and then we're going to give you donuts. Because if you don't have donuts, it's not a worship service. Like, we missed what worship is. You actually can play baseball and worship God. You can eat donuts and worship God. Probably not too many of them. That's called gluttony. But you could have some and so in heaven, don't miss this. There's going to be creativity. I think God designed us in his image to help him rule, to experience him, but also to worship him. Worship is going to be enjoying God forever. I don't know if there's anything better than that. So that great stake feeling, right? Guess what happens at the end of it, at least for me? It gives me heartburn. That great nap, what happens at the end of it? Usually before the end of it, that I think the end of it, my daughter wakes me up. That's what happens. I, I'm like, just close enough, but it's not quite good enough. What happens after Steph hits the three to win the fourth championship in eight years, if you're paying attention? What happens after that? Well, it's baseball season. I'm moving on to the next thing. We haven't won one of those in way too long, right? Here's the truth of the matter. Everything this side of heaven is but a foretaste and an appetizer, but it doesn't actually satisfy. I think by design, because we're not designed for this world, we're designed for the kingdom of God. And so don't miss this. The glory of God will be eternal and it will be exciting. Will it include chest bumping Steph? No, but Steph and I might be chest bumping Jesus. I don't know. It'll be exciting and it will have nothing to do with harps and floating on clouds and everything to do with giving God the glory that he and he alone deserves. And yet there'll be this creativity where he invites us to give him glory in the way in which he's designed us. Limitless. It's way beyond a couple of songs and a sermon. The text goes on. I think the sixth thing that we're going to see is life, good life. Again, I hope you were here for our John series. We talked about the good life that God has offered us. That's the word zoe. It's beyond just physical life. It's eternal. It's spiritual. It's true life. And then number seven, chapter 22, verse four, we actually see the face of God and his name will be on our foreheads. The face of God. Now again, go back to Exodus. Some of your homework you're going to read later. I'm confident you'll read it, right? Right? Okay. Go back to Exodus. In Exodus 32, we've got the golden calf. Exodus 33, God comes to Moses and says, hey, look, you want to go to the promised land? I'll let you go to the promised land. Here's the reality in chapter 33. I'm just not going with you because my presence, you will be consumed by it. So you'll get to the promised land and you'll be dead. So you want to go to the promised land? Go ahead and go. But you knuckleheads are so far from me, you cannot be in my presence. So you go and I'm not going to go. And what's Moses' response? Anybody remember Exodus 33? He says, God, if you're not there, I'm not going. That's a great response. Why? Because the definition of the promised land is the presence of the king. Amen? And so in heaven, don't miss this. And then he says, well, God, just show me your face. 
And he says, you don't understand, Moses. You can't handle the truth. I'll show you my back. Go hide in the rock and I'll come by and you can see my back. And so that's what we read through Exodus chapter 33. Now take that context and apply it to Revelation 22 verse 4. And now they will see his face. Guys, God's going to look in your eyes. You're not going to be consumed with the glory of his wrath because his wrath was already paid. You get to be consumed with the glory of his goodness. Don't miss this. Heaven is coming. Are we ready? Are we ready to see the face of God, which we could not stand today because he is holy and we are not, but by the grace of God and the work of that second garden, we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. Jesus is coming. Church, are we ready? That's the question. By the work of God, we can be. My prayer for us is we're anticipating, we're eagerly awaiting, we're crying out Maranatha. And right now we see kind of the wrap up of not just this book, but I think of all of the Bible. And so we see this in a couple ways. I think part of the way we notice this conclusion is there's this strong pivot, the word specifically, and behold, I, I am coming soon. He's landing the plane. We're gonna see three statements right now in this last paragraph. And even the third statement is wrapped up with three comes. It's this perfect conclusion. Father, Son, Spirit, three in one. We've got three concluding statements. Even the last one has a set of three. Here's what the text says. And behold, I am coming. Blessed is the one who keeps the words. Blessed is he. Again, I just feel like I did you a super solid as your pastor, right? I want you blessed, then study the book. But it's not just be blessed by reading the book. It's also blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now pay attention. John's like, don't get excited about me. Don't give your pastor any credit. He's just being faithful. Pay attention. When we give man credit, like John does here, he gives the angel credit. Remember earlier? And what does the angel say in the DSV? Bro, what's wrong with you? Why are you worshiping? In fact, goes, you must not do that. I'm a servant, the angel says, with you and your brothers and the prophets and John who's writing and Drew who's talking and all those who keep the words of this book. All we care about is that you what? Worship God. It's all about allegiance. It's all about who sits on the throne of your heart. Blessed is he who trusts and obeys for there's no other way to be what? Anybody remember the old song? To be happy. I tell you guys, as your pastor, I want you happier tomorrow than you are today. Then read the book. Don't just read it, believe it. Trust it and obey it. And that's what we see as we wrap up this book. The blessing matches chapter one, verse three. The blessing matches chapter one, verse 28 of Genesis. And we finish the book with blessing. That's what he's offering us. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book. I've, I've seen this verse applied to all of the canon. I think it does apply to all the canon, but that's not what John's saying. John's saying this prophecy. Don't add to this prophecy because I'm gonna give you this prophecy early church and you better go give it to your friends and family because they need to be ready to meet Jesus. So don't add to this prophecy. This prophecy is from God. If you were to add from the word of the prophet, you're speaking for him. John's like every prophet in the Old Testament, even John in the New, on so many levels, he's like, I don't even want to be a prophet. Prophets get stoned and killed. Like no one woke up and goes, I want to be a prophet someday when I grow up. Nobody says that. But John says, don't add to this. This is the word of God. I've been accurate and true. Now you need to reconcile it with your head and with your heart. For the time is what? Near. So is John a liar? If the time is near, because we're talking about 2,000 years later, here's what I think he's saying very specifically. I think what he's saying is that the time has always been near. Why? Because death is always imminent and Jesus' return is always imminent. And so the time is always near. It was near for Babylon, it was near for Rome, and it's near for America and every empire on this side of, of 2022. The time is near where judgment and wrath is earned, it's deserved, and it's coming. So the question is, are we ready? And he goes on in verse 11, he builds on that, I think, in a powerful way. Let the evildoer still do evil, and let the filthy still be filthy. He's not saying this passive, I give up. 
That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look at the pattern of history. Evil is so ingrained in humanity all the way back from the garden. When Adam and Eve and you and me not got off the throne of our heart, evil is so ingrained. Even Pharaoh, who God was patient with, who he wooed, who we offered restoration, even Pharaoh rejects God. The audience of Isaiah's day rejects God. The audience of Jesus' day rejects God, literally kills him. Matthew chapter 13. So don't miss this. Let the evil doer, they're going to keep doing evil. The filthy is going to keep being filthy. Don't get discouraged. When sinners act like sinners, church, pray for them. Don't judge them. Pray for them. Love them. Go towards them. Do you notice that's what Jesus did with every sinner? In fact, that's part of what got him in trouble with the religious right, is he kept hanging out with sinners. Let the evil do evil. Don't run away. Run towards it. And let the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. That's our call, church. Maintain righteousness, maintain holiness, and go towards the evil so that they might actually get off the throne of their heart. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last beginning. And have we seen that before? Revelation 1.8, Revelation 21.6. He says, I was, I was the same God to Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Be faithful, trust me. Treasure me, trust me, my better is better. I was the same God to Isaiah, to Exodus, to the Old Testament. I was the same God to them. So in the past, in the present for them, which is Rome. Remember, Rome is unleashing hate and wrath on Christians. Be faithful. I'm the same God then that I am there. I'm gonna be the same God in, in 2022 to Vintage Grace. If you've not noticed the thalipsis in Rome, the earthquakes, the fires, if you've not noticed the intensifying wrath that we live in today, does anyone notice the world's getting worse? Anybody notice that? And then there's these times, I think, like we take certain wins and we're like, yes, we got this. Guys, the world is going away. The book already told us that. He may hold off for a little while longer, but don't miss this. The end of the world is not bad news if we're ready for it. It's actually great news for Christians because death is a gateway to glory. But make no mistake, there's an intensity to 2022 that's been building, I feel like, for the last 20 years that we can't miss. We thought it was Y2K. Now who knows what it's going to be next? But are we ready? We're not afraid of whatever it is. We're just prepared for it. Text goes on in verse 14. Blessed, the Beatitudes continue. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Are we ready? This is the one we're ready, wearing his robes of righteousness so that they may have the right to enter the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. And he contrasts that again with a whole list that probably better describes us than the word righteousness. Dogs, sorcerers, sexual immorality, murderers, adulterers, Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. At one point, that described you and me. Amen? No, nobody? Just me? Okay, well, it described me at one point. But God says, blessed are those who by the grace of God have their robes washed. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify about these things to the churches, to the seven churches that he writes to, but even for us today. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This plan is not a new plan. This is plan that's been in place from the very beginning. The spirit and the bride say, come. That's the first one. And let the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty says, come. Guys, we live in a community that's thirsty. Don't miss this. We live in a world that is thirsty. May we pray that they hear the voice of God say, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It costs a lot. He just gives it freely to us. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words and the prophecy of this book, this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life. And in the holy city, which is described in this book, it's the shoulder tap. Guys, trust me, treasure me, get off the throne, endure, maintain. He who testifies these things says, surely I am coming, Jesus says. He gave the vision. And our response, amen, Lord Jesus, come. That's our prayer. Lord Jesus, come. 
That's what Maranatha means. And we cry, Lord Jesus comes. When things are bad, we say, Lord Jesus, come. When things are good, here's my fear. When things are good, we say, Lord Jesus, come. My fear, if you have that shallow, like little child faith like I had, it's like, well, yeah, Jesus, come after. Why? Because I don't understand how good Jesus is. Because I don't understand that even when things are bad, we say come. Even when things are good, we say come. Why? Because it's just a foretaste of the glory of God. The grace, Lord Jesus, be with you all forever and ever. Amen. And so what are the implications? There's a ton. We just spent a long time studying this book and we did not even complete it at all. So what are the primary implications for you and for me today? Here's the implications. God wins. We have hope because we know the final score. Remember, he's writing to this persecuted church in Rome, the scattered church. The book of Revelation was not written to be this like mystery code book. It wasn't written to be this source of, of horror or not even the solution to the horror, but rather a sense of hope. The hope that motivates you and me to be faithful, to be enduring, and to give him and him alone our allegiance for them and for us. So three implications as we wrap up the book. Here's the first one. Notice the pattern. In the book of Revelation, we didn't actually see anything new. Theologically speaking, we didn't see anything new at all. We, we learned it in such a way that it penetrated hopefully our head and our hearts. But it's not been new news, new theology. Babylon, since the Tower of Babel, since the Garden of Eden, all the way through today, the Tower of Babel has been seeking to come and distract and take you away from the king. That's been true since the very, very beginning. It's not news. Babylon has played the prostitute she wants you. So what's the call for us? Resist, endure, overcome. We saw that seven times in the seven churches. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Overcome, how do we more than an overcomer? By him who gives us grace. That's how. And so just recognize the pattern. Stop yelling at your TV screen because the news is bad. That's normal. That's how it is. But in the kingdom of God, there is no bad news. Why? Because God is gonna wipe away every tear. Because God's gonna make all things new. So pay attention to the pattern. The second implication is this. Pay attention to the promises. When you sat down today, I, I put a kaleidoscope on everybody's chair. You're welcome. We like giving gifts at Vintage Grace. Keep this as a memory. I encourage you, take a look at it. You start to see life in the image and the pattern and the perspective. You see things differently. You remember that God sits on the throne. You remember that God is in control, that God is good all the time. You start to look at the pattern of humanity and history. You also look at the pattern of the blessings of God. Reality is this, your homework, like I said, Revelation's been a study of the whole Bible but go read Isaiah 65, 17. You want to study the new heaven, new earth? You want to look at the new garden of Eden? Go read Genesis 2, Ezekiel 47. If you're paying attention, I already gave you this homework earlier today. I'm just giving it to you again because good teachers know you weren't listening the first time, right? You want to go read about the new Jerusalem? Go read Isaiah 2 or Zephaniah 3. Man, if you can't read the text this morning and be like, I'm done with El Dorado Hills. I know a lot of people want to live here, except for those who moved to Idaho, but like a lot of people... They're begging to move here. The best schools, the, the best weather is what they say. It's too hot for me. We got a lake in our backyard that's actually a lake and not a puddle this year. Like, everybody wants to get here. Guys, it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to the blessings of the new heaven, the new earth, the new garden. And guys, my prayer for you as your pastor is on so many levels, not suicidal, but we recognize that we were not made for this world. We were designed to be with the king. So let's go. Are we ready? My prayer is you are, which is what leads me, I think, to really the third implication for us today. It's about allegiance. You're up. 
I don't know all of you personally, but my prayer is Revelation has inspired you to see the pattern of humanity. It's inspired you to see the promises of God, but it's also inspired you to make a decision to get off the throne of your heart, get off the throne of your heart and to repent. So if you don't trust and treasure Jesus, please hear me. Don't leave today without actually talking to someone who invited you. Put it on your connect card. Because for those of us who trust and treasure Jesus, he sits on the throne of our heart. He also sits on the throne of the cosmos. He is good all the time and he is making a place for us and he's gonna come back when the time is right and it is near to bring us home. And so the question is, are you ready? We've used this white stone as a reminder since the beginning of our study that God, through the grace of Jesus, has given us a white stone of not guilty verdict because the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. Make sure he has the seat of your throne. Make sure he has all of your time and your treasure and your talent and make sure that you are ready for the new heaven and the new earth. I love this quote from Randy Alcorn. I wanna read it for you as we wrap up. We are all made for a person and for a place. Jesus is the person, heaven is the place. If you know Jesus, I'll be with you in that resurrected world. With the Lord we love and with the friends that we cherish, we'll embark together on this ultimate adventure in a spectacular new universe awaiting our exploration and dominion. Jesus will be the center of all things and joy will be the air that we breathe. And right when we think it doesn't get any better than this, it will. Would you pray with me? Father God, we believe that you are good all the time, that you have designed us to be with you, that you are for us and not against us, and that you've given us this book and this letter to show us the kaleidoscope of your promises and of your blessings. Jesus, could we see you clearly today? Could we see that you love the world so much that you gave your son to make us a new humanity, to be worshipers that will reign with you once and for all, like the old garden and the new. Would you give us a, a picture of this epic movie and story that you've been writing that we call the Bible, that we're not yet there, that we may feel broken down on the side of the road at this point, but that we recognize that the destination is worth it. And so Jesus, would you meet us in this moment? Whatever awkward part of the drama that we're in, we know the final score. You've given us a picture. And on some level, we don't want the movie to end. And I guess we don't have to because you're gonna usher us into eternity forever and ever to be with you, to love you, to worship you, to proclaim you. Yes, Lord, the world is broken. But God, you're making all things new. And that day is coming. So Jesus, we worship you because you alone are worthy are worthy of praise. Church, would you stand? Let's proclaim that in the song right now. Thank you for joining us for our Revelation series. As you go this week, be comforted by the knowledge that God is in control and he desires nothing more than for you to find full and complete joy in him. See you next week.